scary girl. Hey guys. Hi everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this is Dead Time Stories. Welcome to episode 49. 49. Oh, I'm sorry. My phone's not on silent. <sighs> Tell it to shut up. We're working. We're working for free. But not for, for long. now. I mean, we still will, but I mean, also yeah, we, we won't. But yeah, we'll be extra stuff. With but this that is being the said, penultimate episode. Before, it is. I like that word, the penultimate. penultimate. Um, I think it's, there's, is there another T? There's no T. Penultimate. The penultimate episode before the launch of our Patreon. So we're going to talk more about that next week. That's yeah, exciting. we'll worry about that. That's next week, guys. Uh, like we this mentioned. This episode is still going to be exciting. Did you listen to last week's episode? Oh, how are we going to top that? Yeah. Did you hear the last two weeks? We had our two number one fans here, and it was a vicious battle. It was a vicious battle. You should weigh in on who you think should be in the number one spot. Number one spot. Coming for that bam, number one bam, spot. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> is that from something? Because that's a song by Ludacris, and it's it's from the I think Goldmember soundtrack. It's one of the Austin Powers <laughs> soundtracks, so it samples the Austin Powers song. But it's Ludacris rapping about how he's gunning for, but he means like on the charts. He wants to be on that number no, one spot. Um, I kind of ashamedly watched Goldmember at least three weeks ago. Like I- it was very recent. I that watched I watched it, uh, when I movie. lived with you and Peter and Sawyer, specifically because I know I have all three movies, and Sawyer said that he had never seen Austin Powers. Yeah, so I remember him watching it with me, and he was not as amused as I was. But he was watching the third one for the first time without ever seeing I don't know. Did you watch Goldmember with him? I can't remember what, if we did or not, because I know, like, my DVD set, it's like the first two movies are on each side of one disc, and Goldmember is a third disc. Mm. Well, they're on Netflix now. All of them? I think so. Shit. I, I at least a gold member popped up and I was like, I'm doing other stuff. I'm gonna put this on in the background. It's funny. It's got Beyonce. Smoking a pancake. <laughs> I remember you like ate his skin flakes. Oh that yes. upset me. It's so disgusting. It's upsetting. And he like prolongs that bit for a while too, <sighs> where he talks about it. And he puts Mike keeps Myers. him in a little box. I was watching a video that was talking about casting decisions that were like bad or distracting. And Is Mike them, Myers on that list? They said that Mike Myers in Inglorious Bastards was bad casting, and I disagreed completely because I loved his cameo in Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, that's stupid. Right? I was like, that was not a shitty cast. That was a that was an interesting move, and I enjoyed it. But they basically said it was like distracting because you're like, what's Mike Myers doing here? Is that Mike Myers? Right. <laughs> Whatever. We're all into it. Anyways, episode forty nine. Yeah. I don't think we have any – I mean, we have a lot of fun stuff, but it's all next week. Yeah, all of that's coming up. Well, we don't have anything to plug this week, but Sarah, do we have a promo? Uh, we do because, like you might have noticed for the past two weeks, we've been bringing a brand new podcast to you guys. And I'm exci- I like that we we have, you know, thus far only partner with other podcasts. So we're only ever telling you about, like, do you like podcasts? Well, here's another podcast that you might like. Yeah. If you like what we do, you might be interested in what these people are doing. So go check them out because you should support your local artists, which includes podcasts. Local on the internet is everywhere. Everywhere. Um, So, Sarah, who are we partnering with this week? So this week is a really awesome one. It's called The Haunted Ride, and it is with Melissa. Um, And I'll let her tell you a little bit. I like it already. Yep, there you go. I'll let her tell you a little bit about it. Uh, Take it away, Melissa. Hi, I'm Melissa Cummins from The Haunted Ride, a paranormal podcast dedicated to you and your experiences. I know what it's like to have something happen to you that's unexplainable, and how it feels to want to tell someone but you're concerned they may think you're crazy. Whether it's a disembodied voice, an apparition, or something you just can't explain, this is your place to share it. So come tune in with me every week while we discuss anything and everything that falls into our paranormal and supernatural world. Because ghosts are out there, and if you're not careful, they will get you. I like that it's a show that's like, hey, tell me about your paranormal experiences. When I think I mentioned this when my sister was on, that I would be completely oblivious yeah. to any paranormal experiences. So, And that's why I'm always like, I'm skeptical, but I wouldn't say that those things don't exist. Because even if I saw that kind of thing, I probably would like dismiss it. 
Well, you should go and listen to more episodes of her podcast and see I'm, if anything like, and I'm like sparks oh, shit, a that memory. Has happened to me before, and I didn't think of it as paranormal because like, I'm Whoa. not sensitive. Mm. I don't have the shining. <laughs> I have. Well, you know what? I haven't seen that movie, but I have definitely read the, read the book. Okay. So I'm like, I don't know if I should have you describe the movie to me because I've read the book. Uh, maybe you could describe the movie to me. I recently watched the movie. Uh, for the second time with Val. The first time I saw it was in high school. And Val had never seen it before. So I was like, yeah, I've seen it once. Like, we'll watch it again. But I was like, in my head, I was like, I don't know why they call it The Shining. I've never figured out why they call it The Shining. Now, granted, I only saw it one time. Watching it this time, there's a whole fucking scene where he's like, my family calls that The Shine. Some people, they just got The Shining. You got the shining? You know anybody with the shining? Some people just shine. And I was like, how did I miss oh. this whole fucking scene? You were going they, to the bathroom. That right there was like, that's why they call it the shining, because oh, the kids it. got the shining. Um, well, they, Stephen King also wrote a sequel to The Shining called Dr. Sleep, which then follows the kid Danny. as an adult. Cause once you got the shining, you're not going to get rid of the shining. Right. You got, you um, got the shining. You and shine. It's him going back to things just the hotel. shine. Him going back to the hotel. Mm-hmm. So it's good. I enjoyed it. Is that when he leaves the messages in his fingers? I don't know. Anyways, go check out the haunted ride and maybe go watch The Shining. If you're into that. If you're into it, who knows? Who knows? I feel like we're slightly distracted this episode. And I think it's because we're just like, oh, next episode. We're excited. And I'm afraid we're doing be this good. episode yeah, disservice. Yeah, I don't want to do this episode disservice by not being pumped for it. I'm st- I'm still pumped for it because holy shit, Sarah, we're one episode away. That is exciting. Uh, here's number one. We're recording this on April 21st. May, what was it? May 31st was when we released our first three episodes. Mm-hmm. We're almost at a year. Now, a year since we released the show. Episodes. But the first episode we recorded oh, yeah. was on Easter last year. It was Easter and April Fool's Day at That's the same right. time. So we recorded our first episode and our 50th episode on, on Easter. Easter. Happy Zombie Jesus Day, Sarah. Happy Zombie Jesus Versary Day. Yeah. And you know what? Y'all ready to talk about some guests? You're going first. I'm going first. This time. Got him. All right. So um, I am really excited to tell this story. And I was, I've been looking at this story for a while. And I decided to go ahead and do it because last episode we had Christina on. And Christina told some awesome, awesome stories, but she mentioned that she really likes the true crime stories and that, like, ghost stories aren't necessarily her thing, even though she's still our, like, number one fan. Let me tell you what Phil said. Okay. Phil. Can you say it on the air? Yeah. I can say it now. What'd Phil say? Well, Phil is just like, he's like, the true crime stories aren't really my favorite. And he's like, I was like, well, you know, what, you know, do you like the ghost stories? He's like, no, supernatural isn't really my thing. Well, then what is... Right. And I was like, then Phil, what are your, what are your favorite things that we do? And he's like, I just like when you and Sarah like banter and talk. I was like, well, that's every episode. And he's like, yeah, I know. Like, I like that. That's my favorite part. I was like, well, you're adorable, but I mean, so you're telling me like, no matter what I do, you you're going like to watch it because you're my brother and you're really, yeah. you're really sweet. But like, he's, he, he's like, I'm not really into any. I just listen because I listen to you guys and I like you guys and how you guys play off of each other. Thank um, you. Right. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> So anyways, Christina mentioned that she really liked the true crime, and um, this one is a true crime story. Get it. And it is a true crime story from my high school hometown. Get it, bitch. Um, So I originally heard this story, and the version that I heard was a very condensed version because it was my mom just like offhandedly telling me, oh, hey, back in the 80s um, at this house over in this neighborhood here, you know, in town while we're driving around. Uh, yeah, no, there was there was a murder there. Yeah, it was it was a whole big deal. Um, the what? person who did it, you know, got away. So here's that story that happened in my hometown. It's fondly known as the Wiley Axe Murder, uh, happening in Wiley, Texas. Okay, I was hoping it was because it was from a place called Wiley, and not like that Wiley Axe Murder. No, Wiley boy nobody go get him i know and what's funny is i never when i moved from east texas to wiley 
that was when people started picking on me for having a Southern accent. And then I moved from Wiley to Houston and people were like, where are you from? Wiley, Texas, thinking everyone talked like that in Wiley. And I was just like, wow. So it's just worse and worse. Also, our school mascot was the Pirates and they really missed out on an opportunity to be the Coyotes. I know. That was literally I what I was going to ask I you. Know. I was like, so was the Coyote the mascot? No. No? Get no. The fuck and not out. even at one point. So when I started, when I went to high school there, we only had the one high school. By the time I graduated, they had opened a second high school, Wiley East. Nope. I don't remember what their mascot was, but it was not. I want to be like like the Falcons instead of the Pirates. I have to look it up. (laughs) Um, I laugh at that because my high school uh, mascot was the Buccaneer. uh, And then Phil, the the first college he went to, uh, his mascot was the Pirates. So he went from being a Buccaneer to being a Pirate. Uh, They're the Raiders. The Raiders. Same bullshit. Whatever. Same bullshit. Should have been the Coyotes. I don't know why. No one jumped on that. So that was really dumb. But anyways, I went to high school there when I lived there for the four years. Um, It was still pretty suburban-y, pretty like super church heavy, uh, smallish town. Now at this point, it's one of the largest growing like suburban uh, areas outside of Dallas and Texas. Like it has blown the fuck up. However, back to the murder that happened there. Um, this happened in 1980. So on Friday, June the 13th of 1980, Alan Gore called his wife, Betty, to let her know that he had arrived at his out-of-town Al work. Gore. Alan Gore. I know, but Al gives me Yeah, I know. All right. So Alan Gore called his wife, Betty, to let her know he had arrived at his out-of-town work event. But Betty never picked up the phone. Because Betty Gore had been brutally murdered in her home. Dang. And her case would completely shock and scare this small, sleepy town of Wiley, Texas, which at the time I think only had about 3,000 citizens. So it was a tiny town. Um, so a little bit about Alan and Betty Gore. Alan and Betty Gore were kind of just a quiet, typical married couple. I believe they'd been married for 10 years and they had recently had a child. Unfortunately, the problem is Betty was severely depressed. And after she had her first baby, she definitely fell into like postpartum depression and didn't want to do anything. Whereas Alan was pretty outgoing. um, And because it's a small town in East Texas, they were very active in the church. So they did a lot of church events and Alan was always outgoing. He was in the choir, you know, always doing these church events. But Betty... Very reserved, very depressed. And so she was a school teacher. And um, around the time that this event happened, it was not too long after they had had their second child. And after having their second child, she was just even more, you know, sad and depressed and unmotivated, etc. So they are not exactly in a super happy marriage right now at this moment. Now we're going to switch over and we're going to talk about Candy Montgomery. So Candy Montgomery, she was a fellow church member. She, both her and Betty, I believe around the time that this happened, they're like 28, 29. So they're like our age. Candy Montgomery, uh, she was known as a very friendly, bubbly person, always very personable. Um, But she had told her girlfriends in high school and whatnot that she wanted to make sure that she married a man with money. And she wanted someone who was like stable and had money. And that's what she got. But unfortunately, she found herself very unsatisfied with every other aspect of Of that marriage. And so she admittedly said to her friends that she had been thinking about having an affair and thinking about finding someone to just have sex with and have that like passionate release And so Candy Montgomery and her husband and Betty and Alan Gore all went to the same church and their kids were friends and got along. And so these couples interacted. They knew each other. They were friendly. And then finally, uh, it's said that Candy Montgomery and Alan Gore were at a church volleyball event and they went to go like dive for the same ball and he did something and she got like a whiff and was suddenly like 
this Let's one. Fuck. Fuck. Now. And she suddenly was just like, I never thought he was attractive before, but now I'm like, he could be the one. Um, and she basically went to him and they like flirted for a little while. And she just went up to him, was like, listen, uh, do you, do you want to just have sex? Like, this is nothing more. She's they made like, we gotta fuck. they made rules once he, and it took a, her coercing for a little bit of being like, let's do this. Come on, let's do this. Um, for him to finally go, you know what? Okay. And they had rules. There was, like, no getting emotionally attached. They would meet in the afternoon at a hotel. Girl, good luck. And just have sex. And apparently that's happened for a few months. They were just having sex. That's Mm -hmm. really all it was. Mm -hmm. Nothing else really happened. And then I read a few different accounts that say, you know, Alan was feeling really guilty. And so he wanted to break it off with Candy and Candy didn't want to break it off. I heard other accounts or I read other accounts that said that Candy was like, all right, I'm like, you're boring me now. Like, I'm done. I want to cast you off and move over to the next one. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Thank you. Next. Exactly. She Ariana grande her way out of that. Yeah. She didn't want any part of it. But what matters is by the time June 13th rolls around, Alan Gore and Candy Montgomery were no longer sleeping together. That had ended. For whatever reason, it ended up ending. And at some point in that process, after that ended and when June 13th happened, Betty Gore found out that Alan had been sleeping with Candy. Mm -hmm. So on June 13th, what happened is Betty Gore's oldest child slept and spent the night with Candy Montgomery's child and they were going to the pool the next day and then Betty Gore's daughter wanted to go and see the Star Wars movie you know so they wanted to spend the whole day together and they were doing vacation Bible school in the evenings it's like they were doing the whole church thing all day so Candy goes over to Betty's house to get a swimsuit or something for the daughter Um, For her to then go to the pool, VBS, and Star Wars. And apparently they were having, like, regular conversation. And then Betty confronted Candy about the affair. And Candy said, that's done. I don't want anything else with him. Like, I'm really sorry. But you can be assured, like, that's over. over, That's done. That's over. That's canceled. That is finished. Betty was like, you had an affair. And she was like, no, that ended like five months ago. And um, I sorry, I had to check my notes for a second. Oh, this is going to be a bitch to edit. I drank too many mimosas. All right. That's over. That's canceled. All right. So here's what allegedly happened. And I want to say allegedly because at this point in time, we only have Candy's story. We don't know totally what happened here. Candy says her and Betty talked. Betty confronted her about the affair. Candy said, no, that's done. It's been done for like five months. She says Betty walked away and they were standing at that point in like the uh, linen closet that then led to the garage that led outside. So she's standing in there. Betty leaves to go get the swimsuit. Betty comes back with the swimsuit and she's holding an axe. And she confronts Candy again. Candy went on um, to describe that there was a little bit of a curious resumption of the chit chat about the swimsuit. And um, she was like, everything's cool. Here's the swimsuit. Okay, you had an affair with my husband. And Candy said, I don't want him. I don't want anything to do with him. And at that point, she says that Betty went and tried to attack her with the axe. They struggled for a little bit. Candy says that Betty um, ended up can, during the struggle, Candy said that she was hit on the head and on the foot, drawing blood, and she was able to grab the axe away from Betty. And at that point, sorry, hold on. I feel all over the place. Give me a second. Candy had the axe. Yeah. So Betty came at her with the axe. They struggled. Uh, she ended up actually striking Candy on the foot, that much we know for sure. Candy got the axe away from her. And when that happened, Betty tried to get it again. They struggled. And Betty said something along the lines of like, shh, to Candy. And she snapped. 
and she attacked Betty. And she ended up hitting her 41 times with the axe. And out of the 41 times that she hit her, 28 times were to the head. So she apparently, Candy says she just went into a rage. Like when Betty said shh, she just snapped. Um, yeah, I was like, and what about getting it. shushed made her lose her shit? We'll get into that in a second. I also hate getting shushed, but I can't wait to hear it. So, yeah, so she got the axe away from her, then she got shushed and she lost it and she just she went was at like, her. Don't you shush me, you bitch. You tried to kill me. Fuck you. She's like, I I will shush you forever. Shush me. I'll shush you right in the mouth with the axe. Oh, she did though. <sighs> she says, I hit her. I hit her and I hit her and she fell slowly almost to a sitting position. I kept hitting her and hitting her. I felt so guilty, so dirty. I felt so ashamed. So she killed her. And I believe the axe got like kicked underneath the washer or dryer. And Candy then went into their bathroom and fully clothed, she took a shower. And, like, cleaned all of the blood off of her and just, like, took a shower. And then got back in her car, went home, bandaged up her foot, changed clothes, took the kids to vacation Bible school, and carried on with vacation Bible school. Like, nothing happened for the rest of the day. So, as the day is going on... <laughs> fuck? As the day is going on, that's when Alan Gore gets in from his trip and tries to check in with his wife and she doesn't answer. And he's finally like calls the neighbors and says, can you guys go over and check out the house? I just have a really bad feeling. She's not answering my calls. And so the neighbors go over and they try the front door and the front door is actually unlocked because this is a small town in 1980. And they walk in and they hear the baby crying from the bedroom because her baby had been left alone all day because Candy killed Betty and then left and that baby was in its room and so they found the baby in like a really soiled diaper and all dehydrated. What the fuck? Where is your mom? And they're like, what happened? And then they walk into the laundry room and found her. And they found her. Dead as fuck. They said that it looked like the left side of her face just wasn't there anymore. (laughs) They just described there being so much blood that, like, you couldn't even see. Like, it was just a puddle, an unbelievable amount of blood. So, you know, call the cops. Everything's going on. They're questioning people. What's going on? What happened? They actually question Candy because Candy says, yes, I saw her. I saw her this morning. And when I saw her, she was alive. And she was fine. And I came and I got a swimsuit and I left. And that was it. And they left it. And Alan Gore was acting really weird. And then it finally came out like a few days later. Oh, also, I had just had an affair with Candy Montgomery. And they're like, why didn't either of you mention this when we talked to you? So they end up trying Candy Montgomery for the murder of Betty Gore. Um, Getting back to the shh moment. Before the trial, um, they brought in a psychiatrist to go over this and figure out what had happened and check her like they do. The psychiatrist said that, um, here we go, prior to the trial, Candy was placed under hypnosis by a psychiatrist. While under the hypnosis, Candy revealed a traumatic event from when she was six years old and had stepped on some broken glass, resulting in a nasty gash on her foot, a lot of blood, and a trip to the doctor for stitches. While at the doctor, Candy had a fit of screaming and crying and would not stop, and Candy's mother attempted to quiet her with a shh. And so... They say that it triggered that repressed memory and it fueled her rage and caused her to go into just like a a snap and murder Betty Gore. The, the jury acquitted Candy in less than five hours. What? And she walked away scot-free. The number of wounds, apparently the jury said the number of wounds, like because she hit her 41 times. Um, they said that was never uh, had a bearing on the verdict at all. Whether it was one gunshot or a thousand whacks, they still would have acquitted her probably. So, um, (laughs) what? Candy and her husband have relocated apparently to Atlanta and she's going by her maiden name and I believe they're still together. I was going to say, is her husband Alan 
No. Her Lord. husband. No, it's this. It's her husband that she had the entire time. Oh, my God. The one she cheated on. He, like, stood by her. Yep. She's and like, as far like, as I know. It's over. Like, that was only a quick thing. That was only a quick thing. And I know that I murdered later. her. But, like, but she, she said. she came sh- after me with the axe. And she shushed me. And, like. So I had to kill her. I you mean, know not to came... shush me. It was in the vows. No, not even about the shushing. If somebody came at you with an axe, oh yeah, girl, but I don't. I wouldn't hit him forty-one times. You don't to know the that face. You, snap. you don't know. They might I don't do know something where they're like, they might come at you with an axe, and you can You might be like, you put that whole outfit together, and you wore flip flops, <laughs> and you might get forty-one wax in there. You so bitch. maybe you shouldn't come at me with an axe wearing flip flops. I won't. I won't. You'll wear nice shoes. When I come at you with an axe, sure. Netflix. So, um, yeah, so she got away. They moved out. Um, Betty Gore, uh, no, not Betty Gore, Alan Gore, ended up marrying his neighbor just a few months after Candy's acquittal. Just a few months? He moved on real fast. Um, apparently, the two started their romance within a couple weeks of Betty's murder. Um, yeah, Betty, sure she was, like, consoling him. Right. The two daughters that Betty and Alan Gore... Uh, had ended up moving in with their grandparents. They did not have a good relationship with yeah, their father. Yeah, they're like, fuck that. I don't want to be in this house with him either. Fuck him. Yeah. So basically when this happened, what was so crazy was for the first 13 days, they did not know who did it. For a while, the town suspected it was a serial killer. People were freaking out, buying extra locks, buying extra guns. Like the whole town was going crazy because, number one, it happened in her own home and it was an axe. And a lot of times you don't see murders taking place with an axe anymore. Um, and then when it came out that it was this tiny, like Candy Montgomery is not a tall woman, like she's a tiny woman, is the murderer. The town was completely split and divided and... It was just a crazy, crazy story. And people are still split and divided over, was it a malicious thing or was it just self-defense? And was it self-defense taken too far? Or did she really have like a psychotic snap? Who knows? And she will not talk about it. She's done. She's like, it's done. So that's the story of the Wiley axe murder. It was a little rough. Sorry about that. No, I'm like... I just have so many questions, but like none that you could answer, you know? Like, yeah, like how, because also we don't really know how that conversation went. We don't really know what happened because it's her account. Because I think that there's more to that. Right? Because that seems like such a tiny thing for you to hear someone go shh and suddenly be like, ah, because you got a piece of glass in your foot as a child. Right. I feel like. Yeah, I imagine something really, yeah, horrible happened, and yeah. she was, like, shushed, and I don't even want to go into it. Yeah, no, we don't need to go there. Um, So that's the story of the Wiley Axe Murders. Axe Murderers! <laughs> Air, true crime! That's weird, I Number like. one spot. Number one spot. Ooh, spooky girls. What's your story? I like it when you do zany theories. What do you mean? Uh, I mean, like you talked about when, uh, like Avril, Avril Levine is dead and Melissa has taken her place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I feel it's like fact. You, I, I don't know why. Just kidding. I feel like you had another one a little one. while ago, but I can't remember it right of now. Of a weird conspiracy theory, yeah. I probably did. Um, I think those are funny. Oh, what you got? So I'm going to talk about a theory that's totally plausible, but I also like it because it ties into this thing that I was into a couple years ago. So I uh, used to be really into I, – I always liked trailers for movies, right? Um, I went to film school and I used to love watching trailers and being like, oh, you can tell so much about a movie. And, like, even the tra- cutting of the trailer is, like, an art. Uh, and then I got really into fake movie trailers. So trailers for movies that didn't really exist. And one of them – there were a bunch of them on funnyordie.com that are really good. And there was one – about uh it was like a sequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory but it was a horror movie <laughs> um and Christopher Lloyd was Willy Wonka and it was genuinely horrifying like it was really really scary um but it was just really really well done and i love like uh there's like an edit of the trailer for it's like a new trailer for Mrs. Doubtfire but it makes Mrs. Doubtfire look like a horror movie yes i've seen that <laughs> Right. I love that shit. So uh, I found a theory 
that I was very fond of, though, going back to what I was talking about with Willy Wonka. And I was like, this is legit. Um, but there is a theory that Willy Wonka is actually about a tormented serial killer. <laughs> Um, Hit me with it. So this is uh, talking about, uh, so the original book is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which there's been the movie, the first movie with Gene Wilder was called Willy Wonka and yes. the Chocolate Factory. The 2005 movie with Johnny Depp is called Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And I'm sorry, unpopular opinion, but it is trash. I don't think that's an unpopular opinion. I think yeah. that's a very popular opinion. Cool. Most yeah, no, it's I garbage. don't. It's absolute garbage. But the original book was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, a 1964 book by Roald Dahl, who I used to always think was Ronald, and it wasn't until mm. I was like 20 that I was like, there's no N in there. Right. It's Roald mm. Dahl. The N is silent. <laughs> the N isn't there. Because it's silent. But, um, but it tells the story of a reclusive confectioner who invites five children, right, to visit him in his mysterious and eccentric chocolate factory, which we're all very familiar with. And the tale has thrilled fans for generations, not only through Dahl's original iteration, but also through the two films, the 1971 Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, starring Gene Wilder, and the 2005 Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with Johnny Depp. Many have long perceived the factory's owner, Willy Wonka, as quirky. Uh, an elusive character who doesn't appear overly fond of children despite seeking one to serve as the heir to his candy-making empire. The famous confectioner is played by Gene Wilder in the 70s film Johnny Depp in the 2005 remake, and while their interpretations of the character differ, both are sardonically irreverent. So much so that over the years, fans have concocted various increasingly dark interpretations of the story, one of which even paints Willy Wonka as a prolific child serial killer. <laughs> I mean, each only in the one with Johnny Depp do we see them leave the factory. In the one with Gene Wilder, it's like, sure, yeah, no, they'll definitely yeah, no, they'll take go care back of home. that. Be yeah, fine. whatever. Each of the children who navigates Wonka's factory is implied to meet a grisly off-screen fate, much to the complete indifference and subtle delight of Willy Wonka. While the notion may sound outlandish, credible evidence suggests Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is a thinly veiled study into the mind of a tormented and unbalanced evil genius. So the first piece of evidence is that Willy Wonka becomes a recluse when a spy leaked his candy-making secrets. Willy Wonka's world-famous factory, which appears completely abandoned at the start of the film, was once open to outside employees. However, several of those employees were spies working for our competing confectioners who took many of Wonka's ingenious candy-making ideas. Bastards. Wonka eventually becomes fed up with the deception and closes the factory to the public. From then on, he only employs uh, the trustworthy Oompa Loompas, which is, you know, super racist also. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I only hire Oompa Loompas. Well, I mean, yeah, it's because he like took him from their home and was like, come work for right. me and, and I'll give you them there and, like, housing, yeah. but you can't go anywhere else and yeah, you're no. stuck here. And you Unseen by civilians until the children's fateful factory visit. When Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory begins, Wonka has remained out of the public eye for years. Some theorize that as a wronged and ethically dubious genius, he only issues the golden tickets as a mean to extract his revenge on humankind. Seeking out random victims to terrify and ultimately eliminate. Okay. And yeah, it's got to be children. Second piece of evidence. Wonka is completely unconcerned with the children's well-being. Oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, definitely. When the children are inside the factory and starting to experience mishaps that Wonka clearly anticipates... He makes them sign a waiver. He fails to stop the children from engaging in risky behavior. The closest he comes to preventing the children's suffering is the instance in which he excitedly chides Augustus Gloop, who's drinking from Wonka's <laughs> one-of-a-kind chocolate river. Augustus, please don't please do that. Don't, no. Right. My chocolate must never be touched by human hands. That's the only part he's really concerned about. He's not concerned about Augustus's safety, but about the purity of the chocolate. Even in this case, Wonka is not overly concerned with Augustus's fate, only that of his chocolate. As Augustus slips beneath the river's surface, his mother implores Wonka to do something, which the candy maker answers with the deadpan effect, help, police. Gloop and all others are powerless to prevent Augustus's chocolatey demise. The child is eventually transported via tube to the fudge room. And while Wonka instructs one of the Oompa Loompas to retrieve him, the audience never hears from Augustus or his mother ever again. As for the rest of the children, Wonka is equally flippant when they encounter misfortune. Oh my God. My favorite is, uh, 
uh, the gum chewing. No, stop, don't. Violet Beauregard. Violet, yeah. Because the actress who played her in the 2005 film is actually in the act. She plays like the next door neighbor. Mm, Interesting. She's Chloe Sevigny's daughter on Mm, the show. mm. Wonka's guests are guinea pigs for his untested food products. Willy Wonka's factory is rife with health and safety violations, according according to OSHA standards. Occupational Safety and Health Administration, from the factory's lack of guardrails to its untested and unregulated food being stored in open air and also eaten. I'm pretty sure he at one point was stirring a pot that had a dirty sock and a shoe in it. Wonka would be fined considerably by OSHA (laughs) if his factory avoided being shut down entirely. In addition, he fails to sterilize the chocolate river in which Augustus falls. The child's germs could and easily they take a boat ride in it. Could easily contaminate the river, rendering its output inedible. Worse yet, pieces of Augustus, should he meet his ultimate fate in the Fudge Room's boiler, could make their way into the candy, a theory some fans genuinely believe. That's the special caramel center. Wonka coerces and enslaves a country's indigenous population. Yeah, no, for sure. That definitely is a thing. After his candy recipes are leaked to competitors, Wonka fires all of his employees. However, to continue production, his factory still requires labor. Excuse me. His factory still requires labor. According to him, he struck a deal with an indigenous tribe of Oopaloopas hailing from Loopaland, a little-known country that Wonka describes as underdeveloped and treacherous. Didn't he, you might get to this, but isn't he in the first one like, no, this is way better than the slave situation they were in before. No, this is like a better slave situation. And they like it. He they does. like it. Yes, he gives he he does say that. He brings them all to his chocolate factory, enlisting them as live-in employees who are paid in cocoa beans, a delicacy in their native land. This convenient agreement only represents Wonka's side of the story, however, because the Oompa Loompas are ultimately enslaved by Wonka and his apparent savior complex. They may have endured considerable mistreatment, longing for the freedom and familiar culture of their homeland. The Wonka-mobile seats prove Wonka anticipated his guests' fates. Oh, no! I didn't even think about that! After Augustus Gloop, Violet Beauregard, and Veruca Salt meet their peculiar fates, Wonka ushers his (laughs) remaining guests to the Wonka-mobile. A soda powder, a soda powered foam spouting cart that is magically dry cleaned when it drives through a mysterious portal. Bizarrely, I did not even think about that. The eccentric contraption contains exactly enough seats for Wonka and his remaining guests, Mike TV, TV's mom, Charlie, and Grandpa Joe. Some believe this is a part of Wonka's well-constructed and sadistic plan to eliminate the guests. He is aware the other three children and their chaperones would not reach this part of the factory door. He's like, at least six of them are going to go. Similarly, there are just enough seat on Wonka's boat, the SS Wonkatania, for everyone excluding Augustus Gloop and his mother. And can we talk about how scary that scene is in the Gene Wilder version? It's raining. It's warm. God, that whole thing. There's no earthly way of knowing which direction we are rowing. Is it raining? Is it snowing? Is a hurricane a blowing? Oh my God, it's so terrifying. And he just starts screaming. God, he's. There's no earthly way of knowing which direction we are going. Oh my God, yeah, it's so terrifying. He's such a good actor. I love Gene Wilder. Um, Ugh, rest in peace. Some fans extrapolate that Wonka must have known that Augustus and his mother would never travel beyond the chocolate room. Do you? Th- I wonder if they think that he knew which kids it was going to be or he just knew like this room is going to take one somebody's going to go out this room's yeah. going to take one I always one. took it as that yeah Wonka enjoys his guests' terror on the psychedelic boat ride. Oh, yeah, no, definitely 100%. The SS Wonkatania, Wonka's pleasure boat, 
isn't for the faint of heart. The ride first carries guests through a pitch-black tunnel, after which they're treated to the images of a beheaded chicken, an insect crawling on the face of a seemingly unconscious person, and other unidentifiable and frightening scenarios. This is all accompanied by a terrifying poem recited by an increasingly deranged Wonka. The glee Wonka finds in his guests' terror is evident. He seems to feed off of this emotional manipulation, and those who watch the scene closely may even detect a slight smile on his face. I don't think it's slight. It's, I yeah, feel like, like it's he's there. smiling. It's terrifying. He's into this it. This is one of the film's few moments in which Wonka appears genuinely happy. <laughs> <gasps> oh. None of the factory's victims could survive their fates. Mm, I know, he's right. The children in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory could not realistically survive their mishaps. The pressure from the pipe that transports Augustus from the chocolate room to the fudge room would have, at the very least, significantly and adversely impacted his brain. (laughs) Similarly, Veruca Salt's lengthy fall down the bad egg chute would most likely have led to the blunt force trauma and and fractured bones. Violet Beauregard would have suffered necrosis from transforming into a blueberry, and Mike TV would have shrank himself down through the experimental process of Wonka vision, was likely torn limb from limb in Wonka's taffy pulling machine. Mm. Even more terrifying, had Grandpa Joe not realized burping would deflate Charlie and himself God. after they drank Wonka's untested fuzzy lifting concoction. So in that movie, they I might have s- been chopped up in the chamber's fan. I skipped two scenes. It's that one, and it's the one where his mom sings. Cheer up, Charlie. That song is just boring. Mostly that's just because that part She does laundry, yeah. So I skip that part, and then I I cannot handle the fizzy lifting. The fizzy lifting drink because it's fucking horrifying. It makes me so anxious. It is terrifying. Even when I know they're going to get out of it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm like, skip, 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 skip. This theory I have also heard before, this next bit. Wonka may be eliminating the children based on their sins. <gasps> Gluttony. Just like in Seven. Some fans believe the children who visit Wonka's factory represent several of the seven cardinal sins. And as such, Wonka eliminates them in ways that punish them for their most egregious traits. According to this theory, Augustus Gloop represents gluttony. Mm-hmm. Violet Beauregard represents sloth. Veruca Salt represents greed. And Mike TV represents pride. Mm. This is allegedly all planned by Wonka in advance. He somehow is aware which children would win beforehand. And based on Slugworth's initial interaction with each ticket winner, Wonka anticipates how they would respond to each room in the factory. The Oompa Loompa songs serve as further supporting evidence as each tune directly and specifically relates to each child's demise. They're just really good at improv. They are. They They're are so all about that improv. singing improv. Yep. They yes anded their way through the. <laughs> <laughs> they were the first Michael Peterson. They were. <laughs> yes, and you will live in happiness too. <laughs> the Wonkavator is a fiendish and ill-fated trap. Oh yeah, no, you'd be ripped to shreds. When Charlie at least wins the Chocolate Factory Empire, he, Grandpa Joe, and Wonka take a ride in the Wonkavator or the glass elevator. Mm-hmm as it's called in the book. Wonka admits he's never pressed the button that sends the elevator upwards, and he implores the contraption to go faster, or else it will never get through the factory's glass ceiling. (laughs) According to Redditor, uh, the strange one, 23, the elevator only has two options after it soars through the glass plates, drop to the ground or continue floating into Earth's atmosphere. The ensuing events of either scenario would follow a cruel and well-planned scheme in Wonka, in which Wonka eliminates both his guests and himself. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, if he was going to kill all those kids, he couldn't kill himself first. So he's got to take himself and the last kid out in the elevator. Right. And they got to go out last because we talked he about had this to kill last all week. the other kids. If you're going to kill yourself, it has to be last on the list. Yep. Can't kill yourself first and then kill the other people. So. He was just working through his list, his to-do list. The golden ticket contest is rigged for Charlie. Oh, yeah. 
Some amateur theorists contest that Wonka knew he wanted Charlie, or at least one local child from the beginning. And Charlie, I mean, we see Charlie just fucking staring at that factory. And you know that's not the first day that he chose to sit and stare at that factory. He's probably seen him grow up, and he's like, that one. Wonka is rumored to be the one responsible for exposing the fake Paraguay-based ticket, as Gene Wilder voices the reporter who breaks the news of the hoax. I didn't know that. I didn't either like that. In an even more befuddling twist, some believe Wonka fabricates the story of the fake ticket, hoping someone local will find the final prize the pure way. Mm. When Charlie enters the candy store thinking the contest is over, the shop owner suggests a specific bar on display. The owner, rumored to be one of Wonka's agents, may know which chocolate bar contains the final golden ticket, Thus, he perhaps purposefully gives Charlie the bar to fulfill Wonka's wishes. Well, if you want something done, the Candyman can. Uh, and and this is um, so that's all the evidence, right? Going down to when Charlie, from the time Charlie got the fucking ticket, it was all rigged because Willy Wonka is a murderer. Um, and he was like, "I want to murder Charlie," but you know what? Let's throw some other kids in there too. So, um. This isn't evidence that he's a murderer. This is just a fun little factoid to add on the end. All right. Wonka's dark nature directly influenced Marilyn Manson. Oh, okay. Shock rocker Marilyn Manson, who is not a serial killer, (laughs) but is inspired by macabre subjects and named himself in parts after Charles Manson and also after Marilyn Monroe, loves Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. So much so that the video for his song Dope Hat is based on the infamous boat ride from the 1971 film. The scene's disturbing poem is even featured on another Manson track called Prelude, The Family Trip. During an interview with Circus, Manson said of Wonka, It's not really the children's tale everyone thinks it is. I always thought it was a darker story, and Wonka wasn't always such a hero. He had part villain in him, too. I think Willy Wonka is a bit of an archetypal devil character tempting the children. Yeah. I can see that. I loved that movie, though, as a kid and now still. Me too. And do you know where we always borrowed it from? Blockbuster. The library. Oh. Weirdly enough. That was always where we borrowed that movie from. I remember getting movies from the library. I don't remember which ones. I feel like it was a lot of, like, Berenstain Bears episodes. I like that they offer movies at the library because the library is helping putting books out of business. (laughs) (laughs) I hate you. (laughs) Buy um, my book. Just go to the library. That's the thing I'm working on. But I'll put it up front for you. Um, I know somebody who wrote a book and then she posted a picture of she went around town uh, and to all the libraries and put her book like on prominent display in all of the libraries. He was like, just take it. Right. And she was like, borrow my book. Just take it. Um, one last thing about Willy Wonka. I We always got it from Blockbuster because every time we would go to Blockbuster, which – to a certain degree, I feel like Blockbuster has such a fond place in my heart because I'm like, my family would be like, Friday night, our Blockbuster was right next door to the CC's. We would go and get pizza. Oh God, then we'd go get a Blockbuster movie out. to go home and watch. And we'd go home and watch a movie. And I just remember going to Blockbuster and like, it was Netflix, but in real life. Like, you're just walking down the aisle like, what do I want to watch? You're I don't know. It to There's children so many... nowadays. You're like, it's like Netflix, but, but like, like, you had to go get it. You were walking through the titles and like figuring out you're what you right want to see. And the same way that you would kill, you kill, you're like, I can't believe I just stared at Netflix for 30 minutes. Like, you didn't walk around Blockbuster for a you, fucking half hour trying to figure out what you were going to borrow. Yes, absolutely. Because you never, I mean, rarely you would go into Blockbuster being like, I want to rent this movie. Because if you went into Blockbuster going, I want to rent this movie, that movie would be out. They Someone else would have it. They did would never have it in stock. That I worked at a Blockbuster. I feel like I did know that. I worked at a Blockbuster for a little bit of time. It was a really big deal for me my freshman year of college when I got a Blockbuster membership card. Mm. I I really enjoyed that. First semester of college, yeah. Then they went out of business like the next year. But um, mm. anyways, we would always go to Blockbuster as a kid. And I asked to rent the Willy Wonka movie so many times that my parents finally just bought it for me. And now I have it on Ooh. VHS. Uh, do I own that movie? I own the soundtrack to that movie. I don't know. It's great. I love it. I love it. I still love it, but it's fucked up. Gene Wilder's great, but it's a fucked up movie. It's for real. 
I think what, and this always annoyed me. It was annoying me. Grandpa Joe just assumed he was fucking going with him. I know. He never really asked Grandpa Joe to go. Grandpa Joe just gets up and sings a song about, I've got a golden ticket. Grandpa Joe, you don't have a fucking golden ticket. Charlie, Charlie has that it. golden ticket. You have a fucking dick. Oh, look, you can walk? Have All you had a, a sudden, Grandpa Joe can walk. I'm just like, have you been using a bedpan this whole time when your ass could have gotten up and gone to the toilet and you're get making fuck out. your daughter clean out your Rude. bedpan? But now you're like, oh, cool. I get to go to a chocolate factory. That's something Definitely. I'll get out of bed for. All right. Golden ticket. That's mine because I'm older. No, go fuck yourself, Grandpa Joe. You're endearing. I think the reason he thought he was the only one going is because he's really the only coherent one on that bed. He's the only right. He was the, the rest of them are like knocking on heaven's door. Like they it's are. A, it's that house is a hospice care. Let's be real. <laughs> They're all about to die. They're like, all on the way out. They're all gonna follow Charlie's dad. Wonka should have taken them. They would have been easy. Like <laughs> it had to be the children. It had to be the young life. Yeah. All right, well that's fun. So Willy Wonka's a child murderer. Cool. At least don't he didn't at use me. an axe. I mean, at me. I don't care. Don't come at me. Send us an email. Yeah, tell me what you think. Is Willy Wonka a child murderer? Probably he is. I mean, come at me if you want, but he is. You're wrong if you yeah. think otherwise. Definitely. But I still want to hear from you. Yeah, shoot us an so, email. So yeah, if you guys want to help us out, until next week, until your next best week. way of doing that is to write us a review. Give us five stars on Facebook, on Apple, uh, iTunes, podcast, that situation. Take a screenshot, email it to us at deadtimestories with a Z, all one word, at gmail.com. Or slide into our DMs on Instagram. That's also Dead Time Stories. All one word with a Z. And we will shoot you a sticker. So make sure you give us your address, too, because people will be like, here's my review, and I don't have an address um, for them. Sorry. Um, I will admit you guys were a little behind on stickers, but that's just because we've been planning a lot of other big stuff. So if you have sent us a review and I'm like, cool, you're going to get a sticker soon, you will be getting a sticker soon. I promise. They're on the way. Yes. But... You guys, tune in next week. Next week. We're getting there. We're so excited. Oh, my God. If you finished this episode with us and you hung in there because we were a little scatterbrained. I was a little scatterbrained. Stephanie was on it. I just have episode 50 on my mind. So get ready for but it. this was a good episode. So don't don't shit on it. Like, But get ready because next week's happening. Got em. That being said, I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this has been Dead Time Stories. Thanks for listening. Catch us next week. Give us your money. Oh my God, yes. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Curtison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. 